Go on. Alan. Duncan. What are we talking about? Demons. Hurrah! Okay, so I've talked about demons quite a lot in occult experiments in the home, so it will be interesting to hear your take on some spooky demony stories, which I imagine we will be touching upon. Well, it occurred to me that we have a lot of demon stories. Mm-mm. Some we've shared, some we haven't. Yeah. And I thought this would be a good opportunity to share some of the stories that we've not touched on and perhaps draw out some underlying principles yes. that have risen to the surface as a result of our encounters with the demonic. Now, I insisted that we do a bit of contextualising, just talking about entities in general in magical spiritual practice. And I don't know if you have the same sense that I do, but there aren't that many <laughs> when you when you look at it. It boils down to a certain array of entities that it's possible to have connection with. Um, and of course it's a spectrum, but there's, what, maybe five or six things that you're likely to run into. See, see what you think. All right, so on that list I would have demons, yeah? Yep. Elementals. Confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> what I'd call helpful elementals, and we'll maybe talk about that in a bit more detail, yeah? Mm. The dead and ancestors. Yes. Angels. Indeed. Gods. Okay. The divine. Right. Is there anything you'd add in or take out? Well, I mean, these days I'm not that much of a fan of generalised categories. Mm. You know, or... um bestiaries yes for the occult for the occult adventurer well <laughs> you know I, I would agree with that in the sense that it's a spectrum it's a continuum yeah i find it more useful and i'm sure we're going to uh arrive at this topic but mm. to but to consider the nature of the relationship yes absolutely as a, as a way of it disclosing the identity of what it is that you're interacting with absolutely yeah 100 mm. percent with you on that yeah but as a as a practical strategy in terms of cultivating expectations, yeah, those categories sound, uh, you know, good enough. Yeah, and I'd, I'd yeah. say in terms of categories, what they are is they're delineating different types of relationship. So what's going on with a demon, so-called, is an entity that, that wants something from us. Whereas with an elemental, say, you know, usually when you run across elementals, most of the time they're doing their own thing. They don't want anything from us. Except for perhaps their freedom whenever they find themselves at the mercy of a magician. <laughs> well, I think there can be interactions with elementals. We can we can bring attention to them, you know, that can mm. assist them, that can help them perform what they want to perform or maybe evolve in some sense. Yeah. And what do you mean I've heard you say this before about demons wanting something from you. What do you mean by that? They feed from us. They need our attention and they will do that in a way that's dishonest so they will offer something under false pretenses which is basically about them benefiting from us would you say that this uh desire for a parasitic relationship with a magician is something overtly there in terms of the nature of the working or something that's happening behind the scenes because that kind of implies the idea that you might think that you've found a grimoire on demons mm. and that it might be a good idea to work with them. Uh, but actually, events have been arranged just so as a result of like attracting like. Mm. Or at least the opportunity for something of a similar nature to what a demon represents being cultivated in terms of that particular person. Well, I think... The other important aspect of the relationship is that a demon wants something from us in order to sustain what it is. So uh, it's not using that attention in order to evolve or or do something creative with it, but to sustain itself. So what's the difference between that then and some of your other categories? So you mentioned demons and elementals. What about um, you said? What about the dead? Well. The, the relationship we can have there is to, to help the dead move on. The dead can also help us as well by confronting us with demands and questions in ourselves that we might be unconscious of. I mean, it's very much two-way. 
Do you remember when we stayed in, I think it was a castle, and uh, I think I had a bad chest infection at the time. I remember lying on a bunk mm. bed. Yeah. And using EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, we spoke, we were speaking to, was it a dead monk? I don't remember. We did a working and we were talking to the ghost of a dead monk. Yeah. Who used to live in the grounds of, maybe it was a monastery or, I can't remember now what the venue was. Uh, but the question I was going to bring up was, we we know from our own personal experience, don't we, that you can't always trust what it is that you're communicating with. No. In, in claims of representing, you know, like a, a, a dead person. Yeah. Or, um, uh, I mean, what would you say in terms of your categories? For yeah. That kind of a thing? Yeah. So, you know, you might sometimes get an elemental or a demon presenting itself as a as a dead person, maybe. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jung, when he talked about working with the dead, is, you know, you only ever work with your dead. You know, dead people that you recognise or you have some sort of connection with. So if you pick up some sort of random communication, you know, like that monk, I mean, that might <laughs> that might have been someone who lived there, it might not have been. But it brings up the question, doesn't it, what's the point of um, an operation such as that? Yeah, it does. Because you know, very much at the time, I think that, um, like a lot of the stuff that you've done, hmm. yeah, it was, it was uh, engendered from um, an experimental attitude, wasn't it? And I think there is, unfortunately, a degree of that in magic, isn't there? I mean, you know, we're going to talk about demons today. We're going to put forward certain ideas about that. But people are still still going to experiment. You know, the only way that you you get to know that working with the Goetia is perhaps not a good idea is through doing it, isn't it? Yeah, but um, always with the caveat, you know, that how many times do you have to repeat the same thing <laughs> before you draw a conclusion about what it is yeah <laughs> and then perhaps reevaluate your motivations yeah so you know um i i've always felt that you you've been more interested in exploring the paranormal mm. in a generalized sense than i have mm. you know i'm happy to see what uh the nature of a demon might be or an elemental or what happens when you do evp and speak to a dead monk Right, but I only have to do that a couple of times before I can, uh, you know, be, be happy to draw a conclusion in terms of uh, is is it what I'm looking for? Yeah, yeah. You know, and sometimes you don't have to know what you're looking for; you can just know that what you're looking at isn't it. But yeah. I think at the same time, there are maybe gains and benefits to be had by cultivating these sorts of relationships with entities, perhaps. You know, so there are gains and benefits from working with the dead. I mean, thinking about that, you know, scale of entities that I sketched out, the next one I would describe as helpful elementals. I don't know if you've ever come across this, you know, maybe it's a bit of a bit of a fine distinction, but elementals are often doing their own thing, you know, and we can maybe assist them in, in what they're doing. But sometimes um, they can turn up with things. You sometimes get this in, in therapy where some sort of entity might pop up and it'll offer somebody things that they might be missing qualities that might be lacking in them you know uh, and often these can appear as sort of like parts of the self sometimes like um you know you might get things presenting as like power animals for instance mm. you know spirits like a, a wise fox or something you know that might turn up with qualities that a wise fox would have that the person's lacking Mm. That brings up the question of uh, the psychologizing of spiritual experience, doesn't it? It does. And I think and these the... sorts of entities can very easily be psychologized. I think that's one of the one of their characteristics. It's very easy to relate to it just as a part of ourself. Yeah, but I also think there's um I think there's two kinds of psychologizing. Mm -hmm. One very common and then the other one which I'm more in favor of. The, the common approach to psychologizing is to reduce the experience from something numinous to something uh, which could have a materialistic explanation for it, yeah, you know, grounded in biology or something like that. Yeah, but it's 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 psychology as a as a kind of um, pseudo scientific, anti uh, religious way of engaging with the content of the mind, mm -hmm. something like that, right? And that moves in a certain direction, so it can be frustrating to be 
in circumstances where there is some kind of spiritual encounter going on where a tendency to psychologize can cause the people involved to ignore ex- very important details about what's unfolding in front of the, in front of them yeah right and it can also lead people to uh, make silly mistakes as we'll see with some of the stories now the second kind of psychologizing <laughs> that i prefer right to, is to do move in the opposite direction if you like Instead of taking the spiritual and making it collapse down into the materialistic or, or pseudo-spiritual psychology, it's to raise up psychology mm. to perhaps its original expression that we find in someone like Carl Jung. Mm. Mm. Yeah, which is that there's a, a collective unconscious that has its own territory. And I don't know if people appreciate how uh, uh, radically profound and challenging that idea is. You know, that there's another world, another domain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or the flora and fauna of its own. Yeah. And somehow we all participate in it. And therefore, what, what we encounter in a psychological sense has the same profundity as what traditionally would be described as spiritual. Yeah. You know? And I think that's really apparent in the sort of entity that I'm trying to describe here. So, say if somebody has a dream or a vision or something and a power animal appears you know uh, like we were saying a wise fox say and one way of looking at that is um you know this is something that ref- that reflects that person's attachments in early life you know that this is uh a- an image of something that was missing from what was provided in childhood uh i don't know wily fox might be um something that that kind of looks out for you and takes care of you you know in this example person might have experienced neglect say so the idea that we're just getting some sort of mirror image of the attachment system in this person you know mm. that's one way of looking at it but then you know there is another dimension to it i mean why is this thing appearing why now why is it taking mm. this form you know there's an element of grace here i think that this thing is appearing exactly when it's needed to this person there's a there's a compassion there's a a loving protectiveness there which you know the universe is kind of providing and it's symbolic as well so it plugs into that dimension that you were talking about of the collective unconscious mm. yeah it points at intelligence beyond the conscious yes. um yeah limits of the the people involved therapist yeah. and client yeah. alike and in that sense yeah. you get a sense of an entity don't you you get a sense of something being sent you know that has its own sort of being you know independent existence to some degree yes and then your other categories we talked about the dead, didn't we? Um, and I think as well as the literal dead, you know, you sometimes get ancestral spirits that might not be actual dead people who lived, but can be kind of like the distillation of a lineage or, you know, a kind of heritage, something like that. And then the divine, the gods and the divine, you said? Well, angels next. Oh, angels, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to say much about them, do we? <laughs> <laughs> But I suppose, you know, at this level, the, the kind of relationship starts to shift a bit where it's it's very much about entities that give us something. They want something for us. They want the best for us. Mm. You know, it's about receiving um, more than giving as we sort of move up to this end of the spectrum. Well, there is a way in which the giving, what's asked for in return in terms of the relationship is actually much greater than anything asked for previously by the other classes of entities mm-hmm. so <laughs> what i mean by that is you you can work with elementals or uh, things pretending to be dead people yeah or or um uh demons or whatever and let's say there's some kind of trade and let's say there's even uh some kind of uh moral compromise that's also part of that trade if you're working with demons yeah right but by the time you get to working with angels, and particularly if you're working with the Holy Guardian Angel, let's say you're looking at it from a purely practical, magical viewpoint, which we might describe as the accumulation of magical power, something like that. Mm-hmm. Right, well, then you want to invoke the most powerful thing you can think of. And the, the, the trade is commensurate with that. What's asked for by the divine is everything. Yeah. You know, the the trade becomes... Um, not an offering of uh, merely some belongings or, or something like that, right? Or good intentions yeah. or time and effort yeah. and resources. Uh, you're asked to go beyond yourself Indeed. right? by offering everything that you are. 
offering up everything that you are. And there's a horizon you can't see over. Yeah. So it's it's done as a matter of faith. So in in one sense, um, you know, the offering is greater. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it is. But the key the key thing is that it's you're asked to go beyond yourself because there's a promise of something that's extraordinary. Yeah. Right. Now that that promise uh isn't made with the other entities, is it? No, it isn't. And it's interesting because the techniques that you use in order to connect with these entities require exactly that, don't they? Mm, yeah. In order to connect with a god or the divine and, and maybe angels to a certain extent, you know, the, the practice, the technique that you'll use will involve um, devotion, um, surrender. Um, there's often the idea that, you know, these entities demand that of us, but it's not that. You know, these are these are techniques. These are these are tools, and but then of course that becomes indistinguishable from what you were talking about, which is that these aren't just tools. You know, we're actually we're actually entering into something when we do that. We're giving up everything, like you said. That's precisely mm. what it takes. With these entities further down um, the spectrum, demons, the dead, elementals. You know pretty much what we're using there is just attention it's just you're just manipulating your attention in different ways mm. you know, it's a different well, set of techniques well there's something interesting isn't there now that you've just brought up mm. which is recognizing that there might be some reciprocal nature to a relationship oh yeah yeah, yeah. in the sense that what you work with will will demand an expression of its nature in yourself as the means of going about the working mm. Right, so, so the means by which you work with the divine is emblematic, isn't it, of um, the nature that it is that you're trying to work with. Yeah. It has the same quality to it. Yeah. Right, so there's a, an enacting of a, uh, or an, an embodiment of the, of the nature in question. Yeah. Such that it's not a straightforward, um, you know, pressing of a button or turning of a hand crank to, to make <laughs> the result happen. Yeah. Right, or following a recipe, something like that. And if we think of it that way, and then consider some of the earlier categories, what does it say about working with some questionable entity through EVP that's possibly pretending to be a dead person? Mm. What is it you're submitting your own nature to in order to go along with that? Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. And what you've got with those sorts of entities is a sense of something that's very much trying to cling on to an identity and it's using your attention in order to to do that and as you do that you confirm that identity that it has it's like the two of you are kind of locked into this sort of congealing mm. relationship we've often remarked haven't we from doing workings like that that if you try and talk to the dead or to spirits in general something will turn up mm. and it will be happy to tell you what you want to hear yeah Right, and to feed off the interaction. Yeah. Right, but this might be an uncomfortable thing to recognise, but that must therefore go both ways. Yeah. The 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 curious magician who's interested in the paranormal, who does these workings on repeat, is all too willing to accommodate that it might be possible that what they're hearing really is true. Mm-hmm. So the possibility that it might be a dead monk who used to live <laughs> in a cell in the monastery that you're in. Right, even though you don't know, it's ambiguous, isn't it? It could be or it couldn't be. Am I being fooled or am I not? Mm. It's enough for you to string that along with the spirit. Yeah, almost like it's a, a you know a mutual parasitism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what this really brings home is the only thing you can go by in this sort of magical work is the nature of the relationship. Never, mm. never the way that the entity presents yeah you know just because it's it's uh, got lovely mm. lights and it's got wings <laughs> and it smiles doesn't mean it's an angel you know you can only go on the relationship that you have with this thing you know what what it's yeah. what it's bringing to you and what it's asking for in return mm. yeah so through the, through the relationship and the enacting of that relationship allowing whatever it is that you're working with and the nature of the working itself 
and then in some respects your own nature, uh, allowing it to disclose itself. Mm. But it comes back to that idea I mentioned earlier, which is how much disclosing do you need <laughs> before you'll honour what it is that you've encountered in that working? Yeah. And then and then act appropriately. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think those um, entities higher up that spectrum, you're kind of left in no doubt, aren't you? I think, you know, when you have an awakening experience, um, you recognise what it is, and that's part of the experience, that it's seen for what it is. You know, when there's an encounter with a god, uh, with an angel, with the divine, it's apparent that that's what it is, isn't it? That's part of the experience. And uh, with with the things lower down the spectrum, you know, then it gets more murky. It's always more discernment demanded. I think some of that is a result of the modern orientation that we have. So one way in which you could say it's always very clear what it is that you're working with is if you pay attention to the states involved, Mm. which define the relationship. So if you're working with something and there's some ambiguity or confusion or hope or doubt, right, um, there's your answer. (laughs) That's the nature of what it is that you're working with. Yeah. But I think I think it's it's true to say that that is more difficult to discern when you're trying to tell the difference between, say, I don't know, the, the spirit of a dead person and an elemental or a demon. But that would be that would be my point. The fact that you're already in that drama of trying to discern the nature of something speaks to your intention and motivation, and therefore the nature of the relationship and what it is that you're really doing in that situation. Yeah. You know, so I don't want to define them in this way, but you might say they're like spirits of confusion, or, or um, they, they expose the experiment, what the experimental mindset really is, which is an in- inability to arrive at a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Right, it gets the opposite of, of what it's intending. But I think sometimes it's maybe necessary to go into these realms. Like, say, if somebody's struggling with issues around, you know, a difficult bereavement, say, mm. you know, some maybe some sort of encounter with the dead is is going to be beneficial and, and might even be necessary. I would I would agree with that, but yeah. but there is there is the question of the suitability of that person having contact with the dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what about the dead? Do they want to be bothered by that person? Are they suitably qualified? <laughs> To help the dead? <laughs> well, maybe sometimes the answer is yes. Uh, more often than not, I think the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, see, there's another thing here as well, which is, which is the sense that, uh, you know, the universe exists as therapy, mm. right? Or, the, or magic exists as therapy, mm-hmm. or, or, or everything exists to help us in some way. Mm. And there is a question around. It's at least a question you should ask of yourself which is, is it appropriate for me to work with this entity in question? Is there a different kind of relationship, right, that's possible, which isn't one where I'm going to work with something and it's going to help me, and it's all about me? Yeah. Right? It's all about me. But what about, in terms of the dead, what about the dead? They've just died. Exactly. And you're and you're turning up because it's like you just you, this person that's died. You need to help me with my bereavement. Yeah. And I think um, often work with the dead is about enabling the dead to die, <laughs> to die more fully than right. they have. You know, to to put that into more everyday language. Mm. Um, you know, the dead can leave a lot of shit behind them sometimes, and that needs mm. to be resolved mm. and you know to yeah. disperse. But imagine turning up to help someone who's just died. Mm. Who, who who has a lot of problems let's put it that way mm. something like that right have you dealt with your problems sufficiently do you understand the human condition and the, and the nature of reality such that you're going to be of help to that person yeah are we to believe this yeah <laughs> but of course of course you know these these are valid questions valid issues but sometimes you might have to don't get me wrong. I'm saying that there's a. If I if I was to summarise the entire process, it's one of seeing. Yeah. I'm just coming back to that point again, which is which is is it possible for us to also see our presumption and our, our intentions and our motivations to pay attention when we do workings like this to see what they are. Yeah. 
And then when we could just ask that question, is this what I'm interested in? Yeah. Is this what I'm looking for? And if, yeah, so it's not it's not don't do these things. No. And if you're not doing that, then you're not mm. you're not working with the relationship, are you, with the entity? You know, if you're not mm. looking at what it's bringing up for you and what your assumptions and yeah. desires are, then you you're just not doing that. Yeah. Another way of putting it as well, because you could think about it in terms of gods, people presuming that they're a suitable devotee for a god. Yeah. Would you have yourself as a devotee? No. Would you? <laughs> Just questions worth asking again, you know, because it because you find this this orientation in 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 traditional magic, and I'm talking about traditional like European uh, Western magic, Christian magic, right, a Jewish magic. It was always assumed, right. The starting point is you you question whether you are worthy enough to do the working in the first place and to even interact with these entities. So you. It, even with the Abramelin working, yeah, you know, you spend a year and a half praying to God, yeah, to send you an angel, right? Which involves examining your motivations for asking for such a thing, yeah. And are you are you worthy for God to send you an angel? Yeah. To do what? And again, this is part of the work, right. isn't it? <laughs> you know, this is yeah. This is not just a, a technique, but it's also part of the surrender and the devotion that's necessary. Mm. Well, sometimes you will be, and sometimes you won't be. You you only know, don't you, if you do it? Yeah. <laughs> you only know if you do it. So the only reason I'm I I have questions around the stuff that I'm saying, and the only reason I'm saying it is because I've discovered this stuff in myself doing these workings, mm-hmm. where 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 once the nature of the working has been disclosed. I've paid attention to it. I can then see, kind of, I've made it conscious. Well, what was I doing there? Yeah. What was I attempting to do? What in what way was I being arrogant? Yeah. What's the presumption? <laughs> are these things play? Are these play things? Yeah. These gods and spirits. Is is it spirit trafficking? Is that the only way of relating to these entities? And if and if that is the nature of entities that they only exist to be spirit trafficked, right? I'm using that term intentionally. It's like human trafficking, mm. using entities to do things for you. Right. Um, well, then, do you want to be doing a working of that nature, if that's what their nature is? Yeah. Is that who you are? Is that what you're interested in? And then, if it's devotional, then if it's devotional, you should be asking that question: Would I want me as a devotee? In what ways can I make myself worthy enough to do that? <laughs> yeah. Right now, and again, I mean, I started off purely practical, you know, um, un- badly considered. Mm. Right and and motivated by the most the basest of of desire, which is magical power. I was interested in what what is that and 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 what's the highest form of magic. Yeah. So I'm not you know I'm not saying don't do these workings, but it's just I keep coming back to the same thing again and again, which is which is what find out what you're interested in, and you can do that by doing it. Mm. Um, but take it seriously, like what you've been presented with. Yeah. And that's part of the work. That is yeah, part that, of the work. In some ways, that is the work, isn't it? Yeah. But there's plenty of people who aren't doing the work. Mm. They'll do magic, but they're not doing the work and they're not interested. No. Which might be a nice segue into a story. It might be, because precisely then you're at risk, aren't you, of being led astray by something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of presumption, mm. you know, a presumptuous uh, magician, perhaps a little, uh, uh, little inflated... <laughs> Tell us your story, Dunk. What's your <laughs> where you first decided to work yeah. with the demon? Well, like I said, I've talked about these demon stories quite a bit, so I'll concentrate on you know a couple that I haven't talked about very much, which were around the time that I first started experimenting with Goetia. And would would experimenting be the key word there? Like your your motivations were purely to see. What is this? Like, are they real? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, given that my first magical intention behind mm. using the Goetia was to attract more like-minded people, then yes, that was experimentation, was it? Because there's no reason to use Goetia for an intention like that. Right. Is there? No. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's, that's, that's a, a thing worth just touching on there that you just mm. brought up. I think we kind of touched on it earlier, but... A lot of the time, a lot of people who do magic have a, a statement of intent, so to speak. You know, like 
to get some cash to meet more like-minded people, whatever it might be, yeah. right? But really, the reason you're doing it is just to see what happens, and that's the genuine motivation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so there's like unspoken uh, intent. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's usually the one I've been most guilty of. I think you know just to muck around yeah. and, and have a strange experience. Yeah. Which which I did with Goisha and. Um, couple of them were the most terrifying experiences I've, <laughs> I've ever had in my life you know so uh yeah but anyway um yeah so I took it quite seriously compared to other magical workings that I did I mean I put a lot of mm. effort into it cleaning the flat where I was living moving the furniture a rare occurrence yeah yes <laughs> um you know putting circles and triangles out on the ground um and I did some workings and I've talked about the experiences and results that came from those elsewhere. But what I wanted to concentrate here was things that happened after that. So uh, I burnt a lot of incense for these workings. I had this mixture mm. of mugwort and wormwood. And that stuff stank <laughs> and <laughs> smelled really dark and spooky and lingered in the flat for days afterwards. And then noticing these kind of splashback effects. So the most striking one was like the day after a working or so. You know, my girlfriend's around in the flat. She's having a bath. We're talking, you know, and we've got sort of candles around the bath. And while she's talking, suddenly her hair catches fire <laughs> on, on one of these candles. You know, a hair kind of suddenly goes up in flames. Never happened before. Um, I didn't realise hair was quite so flammable. Apparently it is. Um, so her hair's on fire and I'm sort of like looking on in horror. And um, I sort of say to her, your hair's on fire. <laughs> and I'm sort, of resign I'm sort of resigning myself to the fact that, well, her hair's on fire, so I'm just going to have to put it out with my hands and I'm probably going to get burned, but what the f***? And she just sort of looks at me calmly and then just sinks under the water in the bath <laughs> and puts the flames out. And, you know, you could say just a coincidence, just an accident, but the fact that it followed so soon after doing all that stuff in the flat, and it wasn't just that particular incident. Like, um, I had a couple of people come round, you know, just visit and then fall ill afterwards. Mm. And there was just this um, atmosphere in the flat afterwards. You know, it... it took quite a few days to to clear a sense of something sinister and oppressive well do you remember the actual ritual that you did because you t you told me about some of the things that happened during the ritual yeah i mean i'm not going to go into detail but i had yeah. i had to kind of oh for the for the sake of our listeners whilst telling these stories we will not mention the names of the entities in question no, no. and particularly in this case because i had to destroy the sigil of mm. the entity because I wasn't getting the results that I asked for and the opposite to the results was starting to manifest so I'd done a working to mm. meet more like-minded people and I was like losing friendships and things that right. I had started were starting to close down um, and it felt like mm. I was being goaded and taunted and uh, yeah so in the end I had to burn the, the sigil of this entity and erase it from my magical universe but like people came to stay and they would sleep in the room where I'd done the working and, and quite a few people reported, you know, having nightmares and strange dreams. So there's this idea of some sort of splashback, some sort of mm. unintended negativity lingering outside the boundaries of the ritual. Was there not one of these workings where you said that you uh, experienced uh, hands, something closing around your throat, hearing evil laughter, cackling, that kind of thing. So some some of the manifestations from these rituals involved one of the spirits manifesting as a, a voice that came through the wall, a wailing voice. The entity that I ended up burning the sigil, objects started moving inside the protective circle and mm. the amulet that I was wearing around my neck with the spirit seal in it suddenly seemed to come alive and, and seemed like it was the entity felt like it was around my neck basically at one point I had to rip this thing off because it just felt so strange and alive 
Mm. Well, I was thinking the content of the ritual might also then inform the weirder things happening around it. Mm. You know, because then then it sounds less like or oh, merely a coincidence. Yeah, and you know, you, a direct contact in the working with something that appeared malevolent and somehow got you to tear off the amulet. Yeah, and things were happening yeah. inside the circle. You know, they're mm. not supposed to happen inside the circle, are they? So yeah. there was a sense in these workings from the very beginning that something was uh, was out of control. Yeah. You know, the... and t- t- tell me, Dunk, did you uh, did you cut your wand from a hazel tree under a full moon? No, no. <laughs> um, was your was your layman made of brass? <laughs> I think I dispensed with the layman. I had um, <laughs> yeah. I had a hexagram of Solomon around my back, and I had the. Yeah, the seal of the spirit around my neck. Mm. Am I right in thinking that you took a DIY approach, so so that you had m- most of the, uh, I was going to say utensils, <laughs> most of the equipment, but pen on paper. Well, there's a certain degree of compromise that I think you have to make. Okay, so yeah. I'm in a, a rented flat, you know, with carpets. Yeah, it's not like I can rip up the carpets and start chalking. Mm circles and names of power on the bare floorboards you know i've only got Mm. so much space so i did have to go through a process of working out for myself what the essentials of this ritual were so Mm. you know i could tell i needed a circle to protect myself i needed a triangle to to bind the spirit and give it a place to manifest i needed names Mm. of power i needed some sort of divine authority that i was going to call on as a an authority to evoke the spirit and to protect myself. Yeah. But there's an element there of not meeting the exacting standards for the equipment. Because it's a, it's a big ask, isn't it? Mm. The equipment. Yeah. Uh, makes you jump through hoops. It does. It require a lot of resources. Do you think there's anything to that? No. <laughs> no? Because there's this idea... I'm, uh, I'm still a chaos magician at heart, Alan. Right. But given the results... <laughs> given the results... I've I've heard this idea, which is which is there's something about the spirits respecting the magician based upon, you know, their ability to meet those standards. Mm. So that if you if you turn up and someone's clad in um, I don't know gold armor, engraved with the names of God, you know, and they've got their uh, hazel wand, <laughs> cut in a moonbeam, you know, at this whatever hour and a I don't know a shield made of snail bones. <laughs> That they're impressed by that. That it's like, ah, this is this is someone not to be trifled with. So I I will respect them. <laughs> now whether or not whether or not you buy into that, there is there is a question around respect, isn't there? Mm. Would you say that you walked into that those workings um, naively? Well, you know, what, 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 yeah. what would be the lesson you well, learned? You, yeah. you you never know what to expect, do you? And as soon as mm. I started the. Um, incantations the the atmosphere in the room changed and Mm. it felt like Ouija board territory you know it felt like something dark and and sinister Mm. Um, it was like experience the only thing I had to compare it to was using the Ouija board and getting not very pleasant communications it immediately started to feel like that Mm. did you have a newfound respect for working with the Ouija after these workings I wouldn't call it a respect well, in the same way you might respect, um, I don't know, a poisonous snake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as in you take it seriously. Yeah. Like uh, I wasn't aware of the magnitude of workings of this nature, what its nature would be, what the consequences might be, that it's no joke. Mm. So, I mean, like that in terms of respect. Yeah, so I've only done, I think, two, three goetic workings before the message mm. finally got through. <laughs> yeah. Um me and you have probably been on the periphery of group workings, haven't we? Yeah, because there's a, a question about respect that I think um, that there's a parody of that, mm-hmm. which is looking at demonic entities, usually usually informed by some kind of questionable scholarship, <laughs> that that perhaps these entities used to be old gods, mm-hmm. old pagan gods. And that they've been demonized literally yeah. into <laughs> to their current form, and therefore, if we showed them respect, we wouldn't use the circle and the triangle. We would relate to them the way uh, I don't know certain indigenous groups do with spirits. 
in in the sense that like demons are the victims of um colonial christian culture yeah, something like yeah, that right yeah whereas that whereas i think that they're well i use this exa- example so there's a there's a particular demon in, in the guisha that that may very well have its origins in uh ishtar mm. the goddess ishtar mm. but if you want to work with ishtar you should just work with ishtar shouldn't you that would be respecting ishtar working with ishtar yes yeah yeah uh, if you're going to work with a demon that may that may have been ishtar in the past but is now a demon respect would mean that you respect that it's a demon and that it's okay that they're demons yeah yeah it's it's okay that they're malevolent yeah that's okay yes yeah. and that they should be afforded you know the respect that they deserve so a circle and a and a triangle and the correct equipment and the correct procedure uh, yeah, yeah, because I mean, again, it's all about the relationship, isn't it? So suppose you do decide that this spirit in the Goetia is actually the goddess Ishtar. Mm. This is some idea, some version of Ishtar that's been excluded, cast out. Mm. That's going to be something that wants to come back in. It's going to be something that's that's going to be demanding isn't it? Mm. And that's not a relationship to something divine or or a god. So speaking of respect, yeah, we have a, an elaborate story, don't we, involving an acquaintance of ours called Marvin. <laughs> now I'm going to let you tell this one because I've told it before. Okay. So me and Duncan, a friend of ours called Marvin, and uh, some other people were taking part in a group working. And as has been the case with all Goetic workings that I've ever taken part in, uh, it was led by someone else, it was someone else's intention. Uh, and I'm sort of on the periphery. Because um, normally in these group workings, there would be a number of rituals that we would that we would do. So sometimes we'd find ourselves taking part in Goetic workings, right? Mm-hmm. So this working... Involved a demon who shall go unnamed, right? And uh, the setup was a large circle. I think it was made of rope. I think with the names of God around it. Uh, again, a more of a DIY approach. Uh, we had a triangle, and we had a black mirror set up in the triangle with candles at either side mm. to um, see a manifestation of the demon in the mirror, mm. and, and that way we could communicate with. And it. this is in a local community center, isn't it? So. <laughs> Once, of course, once again, yeah. there are constraints yeah. on, on what's actually possible. Right. Now, Marvin uh, had an anger issue, right? And he was quick to temper. And he he later admitted that he could see the anger issue appears to have afflicted him. Um, at the t- precise time, he started working with a partic- particular goetic entity uh, without a circle and a triangle. So so he took the pseudo-respectable route and decided to work with this demon in an indigenous fashion, right? Um, yeah. But it seems that that's when he then developed his, his, his characteristic anger issue. Yeah, I mean, I remember him talking about how he thought it was disrespectful to bind, right. bind demons in triangle. How would you like it if you were summoned and you found yourself right. in a triangle? Yes. So, there we are. Me and Dunk and, uh, and Marvin and the others. Now, the others that were there that were sort of running the group were academic anarchists. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a, that's, a, that's a fair way of describing their disposition, right? And um, they seem to have the tendency to psychologize in a materialistic fashion uh, magical entities and workings. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So... There, it was seen that there was there was some virtue in exploring magic and and, and uh, putting rituals together and encountering entities, but a lack of seriousness when it comes to relaying to entities in any traditional sense, or in ascribing them any kind of independence. Yeah, and I remember yeah. this working was supposed to be a preliminary one. We were supposed to have done a, a series of them, which never happened, did it? We only did that first no. one. And uh, the intention of that first one was merely to say hi to the entity, wasn't it? Right. Just to say hi. I, right. So, the working commenced, and we took turns to scry in the mirror, to see the demon in the mirror. 
I saw the demon in the mirror. It's a it's a great uh, technique, the black mirror with the candles. For anyone interested, who's not tried it. Um, and th- and then it, the the group was run by a couple who were married. This man and a woman, and the woman, when she came to scry, got on all fours in the circle and then proceeded to stick her head into the triangle over the mirror to see what she could see. Ouch. Now, one could only do that if one didn't take the idea of the boundaries or the nature of the demonic seriously. Right? If it's purely a psychological exercise for fun and creativity, then then you might stick your head in a triangle. <laughs> With a demon in it. <laughs> With a demon in it. Right. So, um, later on, uh, we retire to this couple's house and she starts behaving in a very curious fashion. She starts going around the room and explaining in front of her husband whom she would and would not uh, have sex with, right? Using graphic language. And she went around the room. And when she got to our friend Marvin, she made it very clear that she would not have sex with Marvin for various reasons, which seemed to anger him. Not long after this, there was a knock at the door. And they went and opened the door, and there were children stood there holding a dead cat. Do you remember whose cat it was, Dunk? One of the neighbours. It was one of the neighbours. Mm. Right. Yeah. The children had found the cat. It had been run over, I think. Mm. And um, they were obviously terribly upset. And why had they brought it to this house, do you remember? Because our host had uh, a cat that looked similar. She had a, a big big ginger tom, which is what, what this cat was, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. And um, at this point, the the woman in question was hysterical, crying, heartbroken. As you would be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Being presented based- with a dead cat at, you know, yep. the small hours of the morning. Yeah, by children. It's very, very strange. And it basically brought the whole thing to an end, didn't it? Mm. Right. So then me and Duncan and Marvin are walking down the street. Then Marvin discloses something interesting. It turns out the demon from the working independently chosen by the people running the group just happens to have been the very same demon that Marvin had decided to have a close and personal relationship with working with that demon without a circle and a triangle and whilst he was being told why he wasn't a suitable mate (laughs) by the woman in the house he made a little prayer to the demon in question to punish her for what she'd done. <laughs> That's so different from my version. <laughs> oh, what's your version? Did you not know that bit? So how's it different? Just variations in details. Well, tell me the variations. <laughs> so, um, so my recollection of it was Marvin stormed off. Yeah. He stormed off out the house, and it was just right. it was just me and you there. Right. Left, left with our hosts. Hmm. And uh, it was about an hour later that the doorbell went. Yeah. And um, it wasn't children. It was uh, two passers-by, a couple, who'd found the dead cat and they brought it. Oh, it was definitely it was definitely the neighbours' kids. <laughs> <laughs> but neither of us went to the door, did we? We we were in the no. lounge when, yeah. when what happened happened at the door. But I did see, I think I saw them at the door. Right. I think I looked. Yeah. Because it was all yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think you're right about him storming off, yeah. and then it was after. Yeah. yeah, I just and I think our host said she wouldn't have sex with any of us, so it wasn't just Marvin. I know. I mean, there was. It was more like no. It was this maybe it was this. It was it was like she was presenting a case for each of us, yeah, and telling us why she wouldn't. But it what? But when she got to Marvin, there was no case. It was just absolutely not. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> It was something like that. He was he he had, he was singled out like he was the worst. Right. Yeah, I don't remember. Do you that. know what I mean? Yeah. She said something about deodorant. I remember that. Right. It was, it was like, well, I absolutely wouldn't. You know, <laughs> you wear links or I don't know. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> anyway, so it's close enough, isn't it? Yeah, of course. So the lesson that uh, I learned from from that experience, from that story, is uh, well, it wasn't respecting demons because I was already of that disposition I don't know why you would stick your head in a triangle it's absolute madness 
right? Even if you take a psychological model, it's still madness, isn't it? <laughs> well, what what are the chances that it would be the demon that Marvin has a personal relationship with and that circumstances would arise where he would find need to use that entity, right? To do something unethical, mm. yeah? As a result of another circumstance obviously brought about by the working with the same entity right well <laughs> you can see that there's um a development over time can't you where where someone uh, there's a working with this entity right that curiously marvin doesn't say oh by the way i have a personal relationship with this demon he kept that to himself didn't he that's curious we end up doing this working with this entity where this woman ends up behaving in this particular way. Um, Marvin ends up being on the wrong end of it and it pushes him over the edge such that he has recourse to need to use the demon to get revenge. Mm. Right. And it culminates in, um, you know, a cost for other people, doesn't it? Mm. As well, because that's someone else's cat and it's someone else's children holding that cat. Yeah. This reminds me of some other stories that I've heard from other competent chaos magicians. I remember reading one account of a guy who decided to work through all 72 Goetic demons sequentially. Ooh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And he noticed that situations requ requiring the use of a demon yeah. would become more frequent. Yeah. And he started to wonder whether or not the situations were being engineered by the demons because the, the, the uh, ritual using the demon was of value to the demon. Yeah, I think that's a very good wonder to have had. Our friend Marvin, who you talked about earlier, I think was uh, that was noticeable in his case as well. That things would happen, he'd use a demon to solve them, but then other things would happen that would also require that demon to solve them. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting to observe, isn't it, that some people will notice that mm. and then and then quit working with them. Mm. but some people will just carry on regardless. <laughs>